For me, it means taking a look at ways you can truly impact and influence the culture of that organization long-term. Not just looking at short-term, but looking at long-term. Five years from now, where do we want to be? Or how do we want to engage um, within the organization as well as with the uh, community? Are there opportunities, for example, with internal mobility for already existing team members you know, within the organization? Do employees or team members feel a sense of belongingness even? Many times groups may initially veer towards going towards more activity driven types of ways of getting you know their message across and the hope is that through a sense of maturity they'll realize that there are other ways to truly impact a culture long term. That's Arlene Cash, Program Manager, Diversity and Inclusion at Atrium Health. Arlene is my guest for the first part of this episode of ERG Power Talk on how to become a more strategic employee network leader. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors, Atrium Health, Fredert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. Now, let's go straight to the program. Hi, Arlene. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much as well. So let's start with this. Tell us about your current role. Tell us what you're currently doing and and let's go from there. So uh, for Atrium Health, and I've been with this organization for uh, 18 years, the last seven of those years have been in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. So my primary role is around uh, providing diversity and inclusion education for the system. And, you know, so I provide leadership, you know, planning and development, uh, making sure that uh, all of our team members, you know, throughout various levels of the organization have access uh, to some kind of education, whether it's facilitator led um, through e-learning, through a variety of different other methodologies that we use in getting uh, that message out. So that's it in a nutshell. So I provide diversity inclusion education for the system. So where would you say are the key areas of discipline in your background? My background is, you know, primarily has been in the realm of education, but more in terms of professional development, leadership development. Yeah, within that space. Got it. So let's talk about our topic for today, which is going beyond activities, defining your purpose and a winning strategy. So to you, what does it mean when an employee group is going beyond the activity focus, and actually focusing in on a real strategy. What does that mean to you? For me, it means really taking a look at ways you can truly impact and influence the culture of that organization long-term. 
And so, you know, many times groups may initially veer towards going towards more activity-driven types of ways of getting, you know, their message across. Um, and the hope is that through a, a sense of maturity, they'll realize that there are, are other ways to truly impact uh, a culture. And so it just means looking for various ways to embed uh, the importance of uh, a diversity, you know, programming, overall strategies, looking at, for example, policies. Are there some policies that already exist within the organization that may be still detrimental, you know, to the experience of, of teammates or team members uh, in that organization? Mm-hmm. Looking at hiring protocols, you know, are there some ways that we need to change some of our processes around there? Is there representation? you know, throughout the ranks as far as who we're hiring, who we're onboarding, looking at retention rates as well. So looking at data, you know, and letting data really uh, tell the story about how we can embed uh, diversity-related practices more, you know, from a standpoint of not just looking at short-term, but looking at long-term. Five years from now, where do we want to be or how do we want to engage um, within the organization as well as with a uh, community. Are there opportunities, for example, with internal mobility for already existing team members you know, within the organization? Do employees or team members feel a sense of belongingness even? So what is your experience truly like? So moving beyond the activity of having a party or, you know, se- you know, having those celebratory, which is nothing wrong with that, but, but there are other ways that will have a long lasting impact because then you're entering into the more challenging arenas, if you will, questioning already existing protocols, doing that hard work and not just settling for the easy stuff. <laughs> you know, if you will. So that's what that means to me. And then even making sure that we have leadership buy-in. What do our leaders really think about that? How can we engage them in such a way as they're the primary decision makers, you know? So how can we influence their thinking and their thought processes around, uh, you know, looking to truly embed a diversity strategy that will be long-term for the benefit of all, you know, of, of team members involved? That's a pretty comprehensive answer. Let me ask you this. If I were a new resource group leader, how would you advise that I go about collecting the information, I guess, or putting feelers out to get the information I need in order to be able to make those decisions about where I'm going to focus, how I'm going to focus in those areas and so forth? Great question. So I, w- I would, uh, you know, certainly advise just finding out where am I right now? What are some of the existing protocols that already exist? What are some potential landmines that are there that I may need to be able to address? Finding out who my allies are, you know, really speaking with my leadership as far as the type of support that I will need in moving the needle, if you will. So doing some homework and really go, even going on a listening tour, if you will, um, truly finding out, you know, how do things really work around here? And then um, from that, you know, making sure that in that process, I'm also building relationships with individuals because that's really how a lot of work gets done is through that relationship building and making sure I'm truly listening instead of 
only talking, you know, as well. So those are just some some hints and, and some clues as, as far as at least the beginning process in finding out what already exists, but then how, you know, can I move forward in such a way as to make uh, impact? And also starting off small, you know, because a lot of times I think the work can become so overwhelming. So starting off small, um, building, building that foundation piece, look for some low hanging fruit where you can truly, you know, get some momentum going and then take that from there and expand it even further within, you know, within your reach or within the organization. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's really funny. I was thinking, listening to her when you said the words, going out there, finding out what's really going on and what people need, what their perceptions are. And right. so you know, there's another part of this too that I found. And I just want to know what your experience was. The other part is that one element of it is figuring out what does the organization need, yes. what do members need, what does the community need, where are some areas where we can have a really positive impact and maybe touch multiple areas of the organization. Another part of it too is looking at the group and looking at yourself and saying, based on my assets or what I have as a, as a group, how do I take those and leverage them to address those things? Has that been your experience as well? Um, I would say so. So my role, you know, on the diversity and inclusion team here at Atrium and how I connect with our system resource groups, as I mentioned before, is just through um, the provision of specific diversity-related topics and education and, and helping them to build those particular skills. But, but what I've also noticed, the groups that have been very successful, even from the onset, they have really taken the time, and they, they may not have even started off as a system resource group. They may have started off as a networking group, if you will, because they're just wanting, again, to build that foundation. Definitely, They've also taken a look at, to your point, what goals do, you know, or how can we impact uh, the overall mission and vision of the organization, making sure that they're also in alignment with the goals of the Office of Diversity and Inclusion so they're not out there doing something else or something duplicative, you know, if you will. So there it has to be alignment, you know, um, throughout. And I think that helps to keep everyone uh, focused and moving in the same direction. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this, Arlene, can you offer an example of, let's say, one of the systems uh, resource groups that you guys have that sure. has gone through these steps, has gone through this evolution, and maybe even some of the results they've been able to produce? So one group in particular is Unidos, and Unidos is our Latino-Hispanic uh, system resource group. And their primary mission focuses around supporting, you know, that demographic within the organization through all stages of, you know, their career experience. And their vision really takes a look at how can the needs of our Latino Hispanic team members and using the gifts and talents that they bring to the table to enhance the mission and vision of, of Atrium Health. But they also do a great job as far as linking that with their positioning within community. From the very beginning, they had a very, very strong <laughs> even opening um, with their with their first 
so-called activity, which, which was more just a reception, you know, engaging folks or the opening as a group, very empowering, very celebratory, but also very purpose-filled. And so they have been one of, you know, the stronger groups that have gone through the, those particular steps in, in building that strong foundation and other system resource groups have looked to them for guidance and for leadership in terms of how to do it and how to be successful. Their primary areas of focus um, really looks at engagement. So, you know, as an organization where we have our engagement survey, you know, annual engagement survey that, that many organizations do. So they really take a look at that information, that data, how engaged, for example, are our Latino Hispanic team members. They also are very big on continuing to facilitate educational opportunities within that uh, system resource group, and also implementing one of the first uh, mentoring programs for SRGs overall. And they've also partnered with other system resource groups uh, from a community perspective. So those are just some of the things that they do. They are also very successful, by the way, with engaging uh, executive sponsors. So every system resource group ha has an executive you know, sponsor or sponsors. And so the sponsors are very much a part of their meeting structure. They provide ongoing direction and guidance, you know, for, for the group. And they remain, as I, as I mentioned before, that co connection and that commitment to the community component is a very, very strong component of, of the work of Unidos. That's great. What about their alignment with your agenda in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion? So as far as even that alignment with our diversity and inclusion agenda, so our agenda for the system includes patient care, making sure that we're taking care of our patients in a value-driven way, teammates, so how are we showing up um, in that interaction with patients and families as well as with each other, and then the community component, so making sure that we are continuing to develop and to maintain meaningful partnerships um, within community. So those that the three-pronged approach, Unidos, they have done a great job, you know, with with keeping in alignment with uh, our diversity strategy or agenda. That's great. So you guys actually have provided this high-level set of targets in yes. terms of patient team and so forth, and that gives an anchor for the various ERGs to build their plans around. So it's a combination of going out there, finding out what's going on in the community, what the needs are of the community, what the needs are of various people within the system itself, within your healthcare system, the needs of their members, the assets that they're bringing to the table, and then looking at this set of principles that you've put out there in terms of the areas of focus and pulling that together around those, those various components. That is correct. Nidos definitely was one of the, the, the first to do that successfully, you know, overall. Um, and they continue to, to maintain that verve, that energy around that group. So, you know, allies even are attracted to becoming a part of that group because of their level of success over the past couple of years or so. Yeah, so uh, that, that's just one example. But, but all of our system resource groups, we certainly encourage them to remain aligned, you know, with the specific goals uh, that they're all charged, you know, with trying to accomplish 
for that given year or forthcoming years. So let me ask you this then. How important would you say was the quality of the group leadership to some of the success Unidos had? The first thing that comes to my mind is they, they had very strong leadership, <laughs> right, from the very beginning. Uh, so when the group originally started, there were just some key individuals who had a vision. So there's a saying that says, without a vision, the people perish. So these individuals, you know, they had a very clear vision in terms of what the group's mandate should be, how they should operate overall. And so I think just having strong leadership and folks who willing to even take that risk in making sure that they have the right people on board. Uh, you know, to form that initial group. So I think too, that was the the V or the magic formula. Yeah, no, yeah. that's that's interesting, but that's surprising. So let me ask you this: yeah. How did you go about getting those leaders? Actually, they're the ones that reached out, you know, to the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. And prior to Unidos, there was another system resource group that formed not too long before. Then it was a men's group, a men's a leadership group. And so through the relationships that were built from that group, they uh, tried to somehow model some of the successes of the men's group, but then they took it to the next step, if you will. So they initiated that, you know, said, oh, you know, guys are doing great over here. So there is a need that we see for Latino or Hispanic, you know, team members. And as I mentioned before, they started off first as a networking group. So they were not so-called officially uh, a resource group in the beginning, but they took their time, they did their homework, and they were able to influence and impact the Office of Diversity and Inclusion in such a way that, yep, we're ready to go. And as I said, through their launch, you could definitely see that, you know, the homework that was done previously uh, to get them to, to that very, very first meeting. So very inspirational leaders and also very thoughtful in terms of what they truly wanted to do and what they wanted to accomplish. Yeah, you brought something else up as you were going through that, where it seems like they also looked at groups around them and yes. they found this men's group and they figured, hey, this is working yes. for them. So they started yes. building on a, on, a, on a bit of a proven platform that was already working within your system. And then they expanded out on it somewhat. So I think that's pretty sharp. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so once again, you know, there was knowledge that okay, you know, something is happening over here. So we also want to be a part of that movement, if you will. And also taking in consideration the impact, you know, within community. For example, within the Charlotte-Mecklenburg community, the Hispanic Latino population have been, you know, growing and expanding for quite some time. And so keeping that in mind, remembering that they're also members of community, how can we bring what we have to offer in terms of our culture, in, in terms of the expertise that we bring in our roles within the system to enhance, again, the roles and, and the goals, if you will, of, of Atrium Health. So I think all of that certainly played a part. Yeah, that's great. That certainly makes a lot of sense. So let me ask you this. Parting advice that you have for anyone who is starting any type of ERG, BRG, or other type of employee group, based on what you've seen, especially with this group that you highlighted today, Unidos, what are some of the things that you would say? You're going out of the gate. What should you guys start doing right now? Do your homework (laughs) is, you know, number one. You know, be sure that you are having these conversations with the right people who can make these decisions, build meaningful relationships 
you know, along the way. Look for low-hanging fruit that you can impact almost right away to keep that momentum going. Make sure that you have the right leadership in place. So, you know, folks that are not only tactical thinkers, but also strategic thinkers along the way. And also allies, making sure that you are surrounding yourself with allies. So you may not be demographically a part of that group, but folks that can uh, provide feedback uh, folks that also have that similar interest uh, that can give you additional information along the way to be successful. So I, I would say those, those are probably some of the key, key things to consider. That's excellent advice. And I think you've really set the table for the panel that's going to come in after you to talk about this topic. Arlene, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And I think a lot of the listeners are going to get a lot of value out of this conversation with you. I appreciate you, Joe, and it's, it's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks again. So let's stop and reflect for a moment on what Arlene advised us to do. One, focus on making a long-term impact. Make it your aim to improve the organization for your community in a way that is lasting. Two, Examine existing conditions around you relative to the community you support and determine how they measure up to what you would like these to be. Three, also look at policies and practices. Ask yourself if these can be improved to the benefit of the community you represent. Four, as part of doing this, go on a listening tour. Find out what other community members think as well as what the overall organization thinks. And five, once you've picked your long-term strategic targets, take a fair assessment of the resources you have available and what you need to fill any gaps. Coming up, our panel is going to build on these points and give us more advice on what to do to become more strategic in our approach. Like, for example, what can you do when changes in your business environment throw you off course? from your journey toward your strategic objectives. All this and more when we return, but first this. ERG Power Talk is made possible through the support and sponsorship of Atrium Health, Freudert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. These are companies that are leading the advancement of ERG practices way beyond the confines of their organizations. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. Welcome back. Let's meet our panel. From Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina, we have Dr. Jewel P. Carr. Dr. Carr's specialty is family medicine, and judging by what her patients say about her, she is highly appreciated by her community of patients. From Manpower Group in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, we have Elaine Cresson, a program delivery lead and trainer. Elaine leads a team of recruiters and coordinators where she enjoys balancing her days between client delivery and developing her team. Thank you both for joining me today. So, Dr. Carr, my first question is for you. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with ERGs and BRGs in your organization. Here at Atrium Health, we, we tend to use the term system resource group, and I became involved with our multicultural physicians res, uh, resource group um, through other committees, other folks. It was already an existing group when I joined um, Atrium as a physician, and so um, I joined that group because, again, like-minded people wanting to do like-minded work to support the system um, and also make changes in the community. So. And uh, that, that's one of the ways I became connected with the resource group here at Atrium Health. 
Got and we're it. a unique group because we're just physicians. Got it. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, Elaine, same question. Well, for me, I actually kind of started in a similar fashion. Um, we didn't have an LGBT group at the time when I started here. In fact, we didn't have any BRGs. We call them BRGs, business resource groups. I know the name differs depending on where you're working. Um, but originally, we started with three groups, one of them being our multicultural group. And our, LGP, our LGBT group was kind of within that. And it, it just, it seemed like there needed to be a whole separate group. There was separate needs, separate education that was needed for that. So we ended up being able to just create another group. Um, and those two groups, we've always worked together. Um, so we started from one and now we partner a lot, which is great. But really, we just wanted to be able to foster an authentic work environment that was inclusive to all of our employees and really be able to move the needle on that. Yep, that makes sense. Thank you for that. So our topic today is about identifying and developing a strategy and a strategic plan. So my question is, how do you come up with a purpose around which you can build then your strategy and your strategic plan? And Elaine, I'm going to stay with you. I think the first thing you need to do is talk about the structure of your group and who is going to be involved in that discussion. Once you have that group of people together, really talking about your goals and what you're looking to accomplish, because you can't start putting that plan together if you don't know what your end goal looks like. So for us, we sit down, we talk about what we want to accomplish in that year, and we start breaking it down. What do we need to do to to attack each one of those goals? Who do we need to involve for each one of those pieces? Uh, and then once we really get past that initial setting up the plan and writing out a strategy, then we actually bring in our executive sponsor a little bit more heavily. We, we come to her with a plan in place and then we edit that plan with her, um, with her help and with her guidance. And she also gives us some great resources of the people that we would reach out to to help, to help us get there. Good. That sounds great. Uh, Dr. Carr, same question. What about you? Um, so because of the nature of our group, we're kind of twofold in our strategy. One is a strategy that will serve the members of, the, of our SRG um, because we want to work on things like helping people get promoted and advancement and um, and leadership. And then the other part is how do we serve the patients that we take care of? So we get a lot of things that come back to us um, from um, our executive sponsor, from the system, from all, all sorts of groups who want that input of the people, the folks that we take care of. Um, and that, that perspective of providers who are taking care of patients on a daily basis. Um, so we, we had to sort of come up with strategies that would address both of those things. Um, and one of those things obviously was polling our membership and we looked at system data to look at promotion policies and all sorts of things to help drive our internal um, goal to serve the members of the SRG. And then we 
also look at system goals. Um, again, we're a hospital system, so looking at things like diversity and inclusion, um, looking at policies around race and religion and all sorts of things that may come to, to our group. So again, our strategy is driven from really those two different places. And so again, collecting information from our members and then collecting that feedback from the system. Got it. So Dr. Carr, once you have all that information, what is your process for then developing out your plan? So uh, of course we want all of our goals to uh, have meaning and impact. And so we, you know, there's tons of things we could come up with endless, endless lists of the things that we would like to do as a group. But also we have to remember our membership dispositions. They're busy people. So we try to make sure that we do things um, that make sense for our time and the skills that we have as a group. Um, and so we look at, look at things in a very specific way. And we try to also use the strengths of the different people that we have in our groups. So, I mean, we take that information. We try to drill it down to what is the simple goal that we would like to achieve and what's the best way that we can contribute as a group of physicians with different backgrounds. Got it. And Elaine, what about you? What's your approach for actually developing then a plan to get to your strategic goal? Well, it's a lot about um, leveraging the people that are in our group, talking about what's most important to us. And then, um, like I said a moment ago, just, just breaking it down. What do we have to do to get to that step? If we're talking about a, an event that we want to have around education, maybe we've done a number of panel discussions um, for different different days like Transgender Day Visibility. We had a panel discussion where we partnered with area organizations and we worked with the HRC and with the Wisconsin LGBT Chamber for that event. So I think identifying the partners is a, is a huge first step. Who else needs to be involved in that discussion to be able to get to the end goal? And just laying out the process. Um, for me personally, that's a big part of it is what does this process look like so that I, I want to see the steps, right? I, um, our, our strategic plan each year is kind of an outline because we have, you know, here's our goal, here's the five main steps that we're going to need, here are the partners that we need to, to, to either develop those partnerships or engage them in that discussion. Um, but I think that that finding the resources and the partnership and just laying out that plan from start to finish is really what works for us. Yep, that's pretty straightforward and logical. So, Dr. Carr, I'm going to go back to you on another question, which is when we start out with any kind of strategy, we're looking at a destination, we're looking at where we want to arrive, and there are two schools of thought around strategies. One is the Michael Porter school of thought, which is that you sit down and you decide where am I and where do I want to go, and then you set up a target there. And then you create a plan to begin to move toward that target. The other approach is the Henry Mintzberg School of Thought, which is along the lines of you look at all the evolving things that are going on around you and you decide that in order to be able to respond to the conditions of that particular ecosystem and reach your objective, that you need to do certain things. Most strategists agree that the best approach is one that combines both schools of thought because when you launch a strategy, the conditions that exist may be X and you may be trying to achieve a particular outcome, but during the execution of the plan to achieve that strategic goal, the conditions can change from X to Y. 
And right. so in order to get to whatever it was that you originally wanted to get to, that plan or maybe even the strategy itself needs to change. Now, the example I like to use is I'm heading for a particular country. And my reason for that or my goal is because I want safety. But during the course of my journey, there are evolving things going on. And I find out in the course of my journey that that country has developed some new problems that now make it unsafe. And so I reroute to go somewhere else. The goal is still the same to get the safety. But now instead of going to country A, I'm going to country B. Mm -hmm. How do you uh, and your team, Dr. Carr, stay on top of that and make sure that as your world around you is evolving, that your strategy stays on track? So I think that you kind of have to do two things is that you have to because there is so much evolution, and especially in medicine, things are always changing. We work in a large healthcare system where there's always um, changes in leadership and changes in um, goals for the system and all sorts of things like that. So as a group, we still have to maintain some sort of um, consistency in the goals and strategy that we have for our group, because no matter what happens, we're still physicians taking care of people. So we have to maintain that goal and we have to maintain the strategies that help us serve that goal better and serve people better. So no matter what's happening around us, if there's chaos, we have to have that. But at the same time, we need to be able to shift and change and, and move in order to meet the changes and the demands that and the other expectations that may arise as, as things change around us. And so, I, but I think that the core is maintaining the foundations of, of what our group is set up to do and making sure that we see that through. So no matter who's in leadership or what our name is at the time, that we still want physicians of different race, ethnicities, religions, um, sexual orientations, genders to be promoted in um, equitable fashion. We want to serve the patients of our community in an equitable fashion. And we, you know, our strategy will move and change in order to suit whatever is the current you know, tone or um, current um, mood of the, the people who are in our, in our leadership sphere who kind of help, who set up what the tone is for our, for our organization. Got it. So your anchor is you guys are physicians that are serving people. You want to be able to serve the entire community that's made up of a, of a very diverse demographic. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you will adjust your plan accordingly based on how conditions change in order mm -hmm. to fulfill that objective. So the ultimate strategy is serving those uh, patients that are out there as physicians. And, exactly. And being able to do that uh, effectively. So whatever mm -hmm. it takes in terms of the plan, the plan uh, will be moved around as needed in order to achieve that objective. Exactly. Great. Perfect. Elaine, same question for you. What do you guys do? I mean, you're in a business that is subject to change, obviously. All businesses exist in an ecosystem that have a lot of moving parts. What do you do to stay on top of that so you can modify and adjust your plans as needed? So I think part of my answer for that is similar to Dr. Carr's in that we, the main focus for us is always going to be on creating and fostering an authentic work environment and being a place where people can bring their, their whole selves to work. But the business side of that changes, right? So currently we have a big push to really find and retain the best talent that we possibly can. So 
with that in mind, one of the things that we're doing currently is we created a referral program um, with all four of our BRGs are partnering together to do that. That was maybe not on anyone's plan for the year of things that we would accomplish, um, but because it was a business need that was discussed that, that it was an initiative for the company that we really wanted to spend more time on referrals, on, on getting the best people into the organization. The four BRGs got together when we had our quarterly meeting and we said, okay, let's, let's make a plan. What are we going to do to help drive this? So we created this referral program, put the materials together as a group, and, and really broke up that work so that it wasn't one group taking on that whole project. It was a couple people from each group really, you know, pushing that forward and then rolling out, hey, this is what we came up with. Now we have this great plan that everybody can use. Here are the materials. And so I think that a lot of times when we have to ship, shift quickly, working together as a larger BRG group instead of our individual groups has been really helpful uh, within Manpower Group. So you guys get together as a team of BRG leaders and you take a look at what's going on around you and you make adjustments. I'm going to stay with you just for a second there, uh, Elaine. Do you guys do that as part of some formal on a quarterly basis? Let's, you know, to use that old, you know, fifth dimension song, and I'm dating myself here, drop in to see what condition my condition is in? Or does this just happen in a less formal way? We do have a quarterly meeting with the leaders from all of the BRGs. And I think that's been really helpful. It's been, it's been helpful in a lot of ways. One, we get to know what everybody else is working on so that we're not competing. Um, because time is such a valuable resource for all of, all of our people. We don't want to be having events and, and pushing for different things at the same time somebody else is. So we set out a calendar. That's a main initiative of that meeting. Um, one of the other things that I think has really helped push things forward is that there's a little friendly competition there, right? Everybody wants to have, be doing the things that are making the most impact. So in a way that is, is friendly and exciting, we're able to push each other a little bit. And I think that that's great. Um, but it also allows us to partner. We have several events throughout the year that we we partner together. We have a speaker series that we do on a quarterly basis. And conveniently for us, we have four groups. So each group kind of um, takes the lead quarterly. And then, but we have a theme for the year. So for this year, it's you first. And we've talked about uh, personal wellness and networking and all these different areas of really driving your own career to help move that forward. But those are all projects that we do as a whole group. So that quarterly meeting is pretty important for us. Yeah, that sounds great. So Dr. Carr, what about your team? So it happens, I feel like I'm saying this a lot, but it happens in both ways for us. And I guess it's just the nature of how physicians work. We often operate in parallels and doing multiple things at one time. So we have, you know, um, regular, regularly scheduled like quarterly meetings with all of the leaders of our system resource groups. Um, but then because we overlap, so we have Los Unidos, which is our Latino um, system resource group. And we have Equ Equity One, Equality One, which is our LGBTQ um, plus uh, system resource group. And we have physicians who are also members of those groups. So we naturally have overlap that happens throughout the year. We have um, a, a, a women's uh, executive um, SRG. So for it's for women 
with executive leadership positions. Um, and so we have positions who are also executive leaders. So they're in that group. And so we often have opportunities to learn from one another that occur organically. We call upon one another to participate. You know, obviously a lot of groups do health fairs and this weekend is, is Charlotte Pride. So a lot of the physicians who are in our multicultural physicians group are also in the LGBT group. So we'll go out and do tables and man tables and do screenings and all sorts of things at community events that are put on by other groups. So again, there's a lot of organic collaboration, but we do try to make sure we're doing the same things, looking at our calendars and collaborating um, and assisting our, um, you know, assisting HR with the other things that, that needs to be done. That's great. You know, uh, Dr. Carr, you brought up something about HR at this point, which takes me right into my next question. When I was speaking to Arlene earlier, she mentioned how one of the ways of putting together practices and plans that lead toward long-term change or really high-impact change is to examine some of the policies and practices that the organization already has, especially around things that affect that subject area that your particular group is focusing on. Mm -hmm. Is that something that your group does? They look at the different policies, practices, procedures, yes. even the unwritten rules maybe that are out mm -hmm. there around different mm -hmm. things that impact you, and then use that as a way of focusing your strategy on areas that will have a high long-term impact. Absolutely. So, I mean, and I think it's a, it's a natural fit for our group to do that because so much of what we do with our patients is driven by policy and procedure and system policy and procedure. Um, and so especially as things change around collecting the uh, social determinants of health data and things like um, people's personal uh, health information around their preferred identifiers and their gender and all those things change. So we uh, have a lot of input into things that the system um, considers important. I think we're a valuable resource for the system and we inform a lot of the policy that, that, can, um, that concerns that. So, um, another specific example is our um, system policy around um, sort of discrimination of patients towards um, physicians or providers or um, healthcare providers of different races or religions and what our system policy is around that. And we helped write that and help craft that language. So it protects the patient and their needs, but also still protects the person trying to provide good care for that person. Um, and so, yeah, I think that is a, it's a natural fit for um, HR to look to our group for um, policy because we're on both sides. We're, we're, we're people and employees of the, of the institution, but we also have the perspective of the people that we're taking care of. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And Elaine, you guys are probably very closely allied with your uh, HR organization. And so my question to you is along the same lines. Do you, familiarize yourself as a group with the different policies, practices, and procedures that are out there, and then look for ways to have an impact in terms of making improvements so that they have, uh, so that they're even more supportive of the communities that you represent. Yeah, absolutely. We partner with HR, um, but we also, we work with our diversity and inclusion team very regularly. That's actually who manages in the greater sense, the BRGs. So we kind of report to them, even though they're voluntary positions, that's who we, you know, talk about our strategy with and, 
and what we're trying to accomplish. And we talk about policy and procedure and where we're at right now and where we feel that there are improvements are needed. Our HR department is very much involved in that conversation. Um, but it, it really depends on what piece of it you're looking at for us. Manpower Group is largely an HR organization. I mean, we, we work with staffing and hiring. Recruiting is all, that's all HR stuff. So that conversation is such a forefront of our conversation every day. But I, I think that for us, it's things like talking to the benefits department and finding out exactly where we stand with inclusive benefits. And we've been able to make changes based on that. So, for instance, for our 2019 benefits, we, we found out that we were, they were discontinuing partner benefits, not because there was any malice behind it, because they were the people that were making that decision, you know, with marriage equality, they were like, oh, this is no, no longer a need. So we had that discussion with them, talked to them about why this is still important, why this still needs to happen, and they changed it. Mm. They just said, oh, you know what? Thank you for that education. Thank you for coming to us and having this greater conversation. And that change to our benefits did not occur based on that conversation. So I think that forming those connections within a number of different departments is really valuable. But a lot of those, I mean, benefits, those kind of things, they all really fall under that HR umbrella. Yep, that's great. So another thing that came up in my conversation with Arlene earlier was this idea of the group members and the group leaders assessing their own resources. For example, you know, what gifts, what talents, what connections, what other networks do they have, and how can they leverage those in order to be able to meet some of the group's objectives? And my question to you, Dr. Carr, is did you guys do something like that formally or informally where you said, okay, we now know what the challenges are. We've examined these different things in the organization. We know that our primary uh, objective as a group is to, to take care of people as physicians across the broad demographic that's out there that requires us to be demographically ourselves a certain group. It requires us to do certain things. And then did you flip that around and look at yourself and say, okay, what have we got in the tank in terms of our own capabilities to address that? And what do we need in order to uh, fill any gaps? No, you know, we, we didn't do it formally, but I think what happens is with each thing that we're tasked with looking at or doing or each thing that we're tasked with participating in, um, we always look to our group and, and send out and say, you know, is there anybody who has special interest in this? Is there anybody who has experience in this? Community connections in this area where we need information or we need um, collaboration. And so, but that's a good idea. I've never really thought about looking at that for those formal connections. Um, you know, and, and again, one of the other ways that our system resource group works is to again, for promotion and, um, and moving up in leadership and all those things that can happen for physicians, for physicians and, um, you know, becoming medical directors and department chairs and all those things. So we do look at like, the, you know, how do we connect in mentorship though? And so that's probably one of the more specific ways that we've, we've used or leveraged the strengths and the connections within our group is, you know, who's a department chair. And so just because somebody is not necessarily your specialty, doesn't mean they can't mentor you on their promotions process for becoming an 
assistant professor or an associate professor, full professor um, in your department. So again, leveraging those things um, probably more formally in that process, our mentorship process, but not as much for our community process. But that's a good idea and something we should probably consider. It sounds like you guys do it organically already to Mm -hmm. some degree. Elaine, same question. Yeah, so I think it's a little bit of both for us. Um, We last year had a little bit more formal process because our HR department was testing a new assessment. So a great way to do that is to talk to the BRGs, and we started there. We have a we have a huge member base across all four BRGs, so we were able to test that tool for them. We were also able to get all of our own results. So that was um, not necessarily something that we had done because we were asking for it. They actually came to us and asked for us to help them, but it was really valuable information. Um, and then one of the other things that we do is when people – when they register to be a part of one of the BRGs, there's a question on that form that asks them, you know, what types of responsibilities outside of your current role do you have an interest in? Like if you're a recruiter, are you interested in marketing? Are you interested in sales? Do you want to work on educational events? And there's a whole list of things that they can choose from and they can also fill in something else if they choose as well. But I think that getting that information on the, on the front end of where do they want to be pushed? What areas do they want more experience in? Um, That's really good knowledge base for us as well. But we're also working with a company full of recruiters. So finding a fit for some, finding their skill set and matching it to a position is kind of what we do. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That sounds uh, that sounds pretty interesting. And you mentioned a tool that was used for assessment. Can you share a little more about that? Yeah, so it was uh, a learning quotient indicator. So it it was an assessment tool that our organization has used internally, not necessarily for assessing your skill set, but assessing how you learn and how you can grow better. Um, And also that helps your leaders to be able to to help that. It has not been rolled out on a larger extent just yet, but it is available to all of our people. Everybody can do it and see their results, but from a management standpoint, that hasn't really been rolled out as much yet. Great. Thank you. Elaine, I'm going to stay with you another minute here. And my question here is, when someone is starting a new group and they're just at the very beginning, they're at the start line, What would be your advice to them so that they start on the right foot in terms of being strategy-driven as opposed to activity-driven? That's a great question. Um, I think that a lot of times when when these groups are starting or even uh, they can kind of end up in that place where they think they go from event to event and get really excited about, I'm going to do this, and then all of a sudden you have an event once a month and you're not the events get small, they get watered down, and they, they lose impact. So I think that really starting with that purpose, that goal, talking about what it is that you are looking to accomplish. So both myself and Dr. Carr have mentioned our purpose a number of times because that's really at the heart of what we do. So sticking to that purpose, what are the things that we can do to continue to focus on that purpose? and that end goal. But I think that really it all comes down to setting that plan for the year. What are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? How can you get to each one of those things? And not letting 
the distractions happen. So events are great and, you know, we, we gain some traction and visibility with events and we typically get new members through events. All those things are great, but the policy piece and the, you know, the moving the needle, changing benefits at an organization, those things have impact in a way that a networking event is never going to. So making sure that you're keeping those thoughts in mind, what can you continue to do to improve your organization, really help it to be what, you're, what you want it to be. That's, I think, the point of a business resource group is, is helping your organization become what you're looking for. So I think that it, it's a balancing game, right? The, the events and the, the fun things are, are great and they drive membership and they drive excitement, but if you are not impacting your organization um, through policy and change, then, then you're losing that purpose. Yeah, thanks for that, Elaine. And Dr. Carr, same question for you. I echo Elaine's sentiments in that staying um, purpose-driven is really important for your group. Um, again, events are great. They encourage engagement. It's an opportunity for us to revisit our strategies and all those things. But also when you're, when you're getting started in, in order to ground yourself, really drilling down on what your resource group's connection is to your organization is going to be really important. And really looking at what are the organization's goals? How can we align ourselves with that? And what are our strategies to, again, make ourselves so we are strategically supporting and challenging the organizations that, that we're a part of um, in order to, to push the things that our groups believe in forward and the things that the strategies and, um, and things that our, that our group believes in push those things forward. So, again, I, I completely echo that. And, and again, staying purpose-driven and, again, making sure that what your group is doing is aligning with your system's goals. So starting with that analysis of, this is our group and what part, what role can we play in improving either the communities we're serving or our internal group or whoever the groups are we're serving. And like for us, it's, it's both physicians and, and the people that we care for. That's great advice from both of you. I thank you for that. As I was uh, thinking about what you were saying, it's clear that even if a group is already formed, even if they're not brand new, if they're just doing events at this point, which again, there's nothing wrong with events in themselves. They just don't have the same impact as activities and, and, and actions that are more focused on a particular outcome or strategy. Everything that both of you said can still be used to steer them in that direction. So you can take the helm, and even though you've been doing this for a while, maybe your group's been around for a year or two, you can still steer in the direction of a strategy just by applying some of the things that both of you just uh, spoke about. So before we close, Dr. Carr, I'm going to stay with you, and then I'm going to go to you, Elaine. Parting advice. What's yours, Dr. Carr? It echoes our, our last commonest thing, um, purpose-driven for your group. If you're a brand new group getting started, I think um, examining successful groups is also going to be really important. Staying connected with your sponsor, with your executive sponsors in the, in the beginning so they can help drive your group to success. Yeah, thank you for that. Elaine? So I don't know if this is something that every group can do, um, but I think that there's opportunity for this everywhere. One of the things that I think has driven Elevate, which is our, our LGBT BRG, 
to be so successful is that we have a really great partnership with the Wisconsin LGBT Chamber of Commerce. And there's a group within that chamber that's called the Workplace Alliance. Um, and we're really involved in that group. And that is BRG leaders from all over the state that get together to talk about best practices, what they're doing, where they're struggling, how we can work together. And I think finding a network even outside of your BRG or ERG or SRG and talking about what's working for them, how they've made progress, what their strategy is, I think can be hugely beneficial. So even just talking to other organizations that are in your area and saying, hey, I know you have these groups, can, you know, I'd love to get together with some of your leaders and talk about what you're doing. And I think there would be a really positive reaction to that, even if you are the one initially reaching out. If that, if that type of group doesn't exist, putting heads together is always, there's always positivity that can come out of that as long as it's driven in the right direction. And then I think the other thing is not trying to do everything yourself. I think as a BRG leader, really talking to your team and working together as a team, that's going to help drive results. It's going to help drive engagement. It's going to help development within your group and making sure that you're not burning out your leadership team also. I, I think that a lot of groups suffer from a big number of members and a very small number of workers. <laughs> so I think that um, making sure that that there's some division of labor there can be really, really helpful as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that as well. And on that note, we're going to end. It's been a great conversation. I think that our listeners are going to be inspired to examine a few things in terms of how they run their groups. Even those that are running them fairly well can probably pick up a couple of good pointers from this conversation. So I want to thank you both, Dr. Carr and Elaine, for being my guests today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. My pleasure. Fantastic. So here's what I got from our panel discussion. One, anchor your group around the simple but powerful strategic objective like caring for patients or serving a community. Two, surround yourself with the right people to devise a plan to meet that strategic objective. Three, devise your plan or blueprint for reaching your goal. Four, vet your plan with senior leaders like your executive sponsor. Five, assess the resources at your disposal like member talents internal and external support systems that you can leverage to execute your plan. Six, through formal or informal means, be aware of things happening in your environment around you that call for changes to your plan that are needed in order for you to stay on course toward that anchor, your strategic objective. And seven, if you are an employee group that's been around for a while without an anchoring strategy, you can follow these same steps to get you on track toward the type of high-impact goals that mean the most to you and to your group. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in. One more thing before I go. 
We are taking a short break, so the next episode will air on Monday, October 21st. Again, thanks for tuning in to ERG Power Talk.